and welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we are analyzing aliens in short, controlled bursts. I'm John Engel. And I'm Jason Heck, the most important part of the podcast. And today I'm here to remind you that Minute 39 begins with Vasquez continuing to make her way down the corridor and ends with Hicks saying, not a goddamn thing. And we're joined again by the person who is actually the most important part of the podcast, Chris Eliopoulos. Thank you for joining us again. Thanks. I hardly doubt that. I think Jason is the, the heart and blood. Please, I, I, you please are, I, I may be the straw that stirs the drink, but you're the captain. And then Engel's Mr. October. I don't got a goddamn thing. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, and he's all topical and wired into the theme of our podcast, yeah. which uh, minute 39. So we've got more Marines creeping down more desolate, damaged, poorly lit corridors, guns up, sus- heart rates up probably, and suspense up. And this is actually kind of a great minute. Um, what we've got is the Marines are pushing deeper into the colony complex. We now know for certain that something bad has gone down. What we don't know is what or how bad. And so we are now looking for the colonists. We're looking for someone to give us a clue about what happened. We're on the alert for threats as well, which seem to be behind every corridor. And we get arguably the greatest suspense engine of all time, introduced by Ridley Scott, the motion tracker. Well, I wanted to say that, you know, Jason, you mentioned that there's this question, like we now we've seen this damage. There's no apparent colonists. There's no aliens visible. And we're asking, okay, what happened? What What's going on here? And I think James Horner appears all of a sudden to sort of accompany that question. I think we get this eerie music cue out of nowhere. We haven't really heard from him in a while. Mm-hmm. And I think that's exactly what that music cue is. It's it's saying, okay, what the hell is going on? And it's short and and kind of in the background, but it's it you know when you're watching it this closely, you can really feel it. And I think it gives a nice eerie vibe to this minute as it goes forward. And that's its job, right? It's supposed to be something ambient that's designed to maybe tickle you where you you don't really know you're being tickled, and to get you more dialed in to the suspense of the scene. And in that, I would say it really succeeds admirably. Yeah, I mean it's like the heartbeat you would hear in like some kind of horror movie or something like that. It just as those motion trackers kick in and the music kicks in, it sort of really gets your blood going as an, as an audience member trying to, like, you know something's coming. And the motion trackers make an almost literal heartbeat, don't they, with the noise yeah. they make as they pulse out their little sonar thing. Yeah, which kind of acts because it's annoying. If, you know, you're like just hearing it over, it's like, oh, you know, like you're almost like, shut that goddamn thing off. <laughs> um, and then, a yeah, po- but- like, I love how he kind of is like, can you hear me? Do you read me? And it's like, they're talking to you. Of course they can, you know, read this. But, you know, I guess at that point they're getting really nervous. So that's the line to sort of let you know that they're freaking out a little bit. Right. And you notice that Gorman doesn't immediately reply. He doesn't say, yeah, I read you fine. So his he's clearly, this is, again, a, a feeling that, that maybe um, he's not quite as dialed in as he should be. Yes, Hicks, Hudson, use your motion trackers. But, but he doesn't if you'll notice, immediately reply to Apone. He doesn't say, yeah, 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 I'm here. Um, so that kind of lets you know that everybody is now kind of getting the heebie-jeebies a little bit. Um, everybody is is realizing that that what Ripley... They're probably hearkening back a little bit to what Ripley said and her report on DISC um, and starting to wonder just, just how serious and how truthful um, her report was, as outlandish as it might have sounded to these very gung-ho Marines. But opponent even stays on task, though. Like, at the end of that thing, he's like, all right, you know, stay together type of thing. So, like, it's – he's still being the Marine. He's still being the guy in charge. And, like, he's freaked out, but he knows to keep everybody together because they're all probably all freaking out as well. 
Right, and that's his job. He knows that if he's not there um, kind of saying things like that, then his squad might get nervous. So when you basically say, okay, ignore your feelings and focus on the job, focus on procedure, focus on checking those corners, all that stuff, he knows. He's a good sergeant. And that's probably, you know, what I... I'm curious now that we know that Al Matthews was, in fact, a, a sergeant in the Marine Corps in Vietnam. I wonder how much of this, if Cameron said, okay, um, you know, give me a little radio patter. Like, if you, were, if, if you were in charge of this mission, what would you say? And I wonder if any of that is, is, is his contributing to it. John, I'm watching your cat chase her tail, and it's really got me not dialed in to the podcast. Sorry, she's, she's going nuts out here. You- Perhaps you don't have the apone like focus that you need. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny. I, speaking of which, I, I saw like I saw a making of uh, of aliens, and they talked about there was a scene inside of the the tracker. I, I guess inside of that the vehicle, and uh, they were on the set, and um, they were being rumbled around, and the roof actually fell in. Oh god! He said apone like jumped into place and like sort of secured it and told everybody what and started ordering everybody around. So it's instinctual, I think, in him from being a Marine that he commands this respect and sort of knows what to say in the, you know, at the, at the right moment. So I, I think a lot of this had to do with him as a person bringing it to the character. And, um, <laughs> cause they even said like that everybody in this thing went through like training, you know, in the Marine, like a Marine training course or something like that, except for Michael Bean who came in late. Um, but I think, uh, I think what's his name? Al, uh, Al Matthews, Al Matthews, probably didn't need any of it he probably was probably given the class at that point um yeah hearing about his interesting his real life instinct toward heroism or rescue or whatever kind of lets you know that i I guess you're right that the training is is always there and the instincts for for using it are always there and that definitely i think comes across in sergeant apone yeah now did we have you guys talked about michael bean throughout like just that he seemed to be cameron's little go-to guy for a while there yeah, we talked about him quite a bit, and you know yeah. the, the fact that he did come in late due to a, being a you know recast. He was a yeah the the character of Hicks being recast, but yeah. Oh, who I was talk- it? Who tussled with Cameron and who got bounced? Oh, uh, James Remar. Remar, that's right. It was right. the, there's a lot of speculation on why that was, but it, it was drugs probably. He had he ended up going into rehab and all kinds of stuff afterwards, mm-hmm. so they think that that was more of the problem than anything, but. But just the fact that Cameron uses him, it seems, in a bunch of movies, and um, like it, it seems like they all kind of find their guy once in a while, right? I mean, Spielberg had Richard Dreyfus for a while, and um, you know, Lucas, I guess, in a sense, had um, uh, Harrison Ford, and now it seemed like Bean is his guy, is Cameron's guy. So I'm wondering, you know, does it pull you out of the movie though, seeing the guy that you know in the in this director's same, you know, in in all of his movies? Does that kind of pull you out at all? I think Michael my, Michael Bean is so so not a star I, and i hate to say that you know cuz i i love the guy i think he's a tremendous actor but he you know it's not like he dropped you know tom cruise into the middle of this movie you know michael bean i think acquits himself really well um because you know a lot of these characters sort of get lost in all that armor right and all the fatigues and 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 you know the helmet and everything that kind of dehumanizes them to an extent and even though he plays most of the movie with his helmet off i i, I think that sort of serves to equalize everybody to an extent well i think the the three roles that he uh you know maybe i'm missing one but the three major roles that he had with cameron between terminator aliens and the abyss I think are all very different, even though I think there's a similarity between Kyle Reese and, and Hicks in that they're both very competent soldiers. 
Um, he really goes off <laughs> in the abyss. That's a completely different kind of role, uh, kind of a, a maniac role that that I found really interesting, and I thought it was a pretty good uh, departure for him. But yeah, I'm with Jason. I don't think that it's. I think the fact that he never really made it as a big star. Which at the time I thought he was bound to be. I thought he was cool. You know, I thought for sure he was going to make it, and um, I think that helps a lot. But had yeah, you're right, Chris. I think had he gone on to to some star status, then we probably would be taken out of the movie a little bit more here. Yeah. Okay. So so I, I will say that we we talked about this, about this briefly. I have a note that I I hand wrote my notes, and it says lot cream and ignorassi. So. If you have any understanding what that means, please chime in. <laughs> Chris might very well be the Zodiac, ladies and gentlemen. He, yeah, with his his weird encrypted notes and I know where he's going to strike next. So well, please, who, I mean, who in this scene would be the Ignorassi? That's what I'm wondering because that's clearly Lot Cream and Ignorassi. Yeah, I got enough of that. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> I don't know how much I was drinking when I was watching this, but lost uh, dream and ignoramus. Ignoramus. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. Well, if nothing else, it'll be the it'll be the name of this episode. So we'll get something out of those notes. (laughs) Doubly disturbed that a cartoonist can't read his own writing. Yeah. Like I said, if I get paid, I'll I'll letter it clearly. If not, then you get slop. But I can't be the only one getting paid for this. Wait a minute. I what? haven't seen dollar one. Ingle. Don't worry. Check check your PayPal later. There'll be something in there for you. <laughs> yeah. Minus oh. minus forty dollars. <laughs> so we have the awesome, awesome, awesome motion trackers, which unlike Alien, which had a very based on computer graphics at the time, it, it was okay. That sort of showed converging dots. These are much more interesting. These do all sorts of things. And as you pivot, as they turn around, they have the effect sort of pivot around. Now, the practical ones they carry in the hallways are just sort of a flashing light. But when we get the close-up, we get distance and we get uh, direction. And I think that is just an incredibly effective suspense device. It's an amazing suspense device, yeah. I think, And it's probably one of those things that would be underappreciated now because it's become so ubiquitous like this kind of a of a suspension suspense engine is so commonplace now that uh people probably don't realize how innovative it was in the first two alien movies uh, my question is do you think is this keying in on micro changes in air density or is, is it something else now uh i don't really know what it cues in on it doesn't it uh, i don't know it's I, it can't be like a sonar thing because walls would get in the way so yeah. i i don't really know angle yeah. did you suspect at all no i'm just wondering really what i'm more curious about is this something you know did ash invent this is the oh. is ash the original inventor did he you know when he was telling the company what was going on when he was briefing them through mother did they just take this technology and and build off of it is ash the father of the motion tracker that we're seeing here that's really the question i'm asking well, it certainly works a lot better than the first one. Hmm. I mean, but then again, it's had 57 years to to sort of um, improve matters, haven't they? Well, and also we know that these Marines and, and the, you know, assuming Wayland yutani produced these, they actually want them to work uh, as opposed to maybe Ash didn't really want them to work. So they're, they're clearly going to work a little bit better based on that fact alone. Goddamn Ash. Um, sorry, I just get so mad at I, I I don't much like synthetics. Um, 
so so what we what we do know is that the uh, motion tracker is a simple surveillance device, and it's originally designed for use by rescue and police services. Essentially, it's a high-powered ultrasound scanner that uses Doppler shift discrimination to filter out moving objects from a stationary background. Those are my own handwritten notes, um, obviously substantially <laughs> more legible. Um, you had than, a handwriting that I had in my bad, head. I was just going to add cream and ignorance. Yeah. So, so what, what we do have is basically anything that moves shows up. And that's great because you can get a lot of false positives, which we'll get, but it can work when you're looking for one person or when there's a lot of terrible somethings coming after you. Um, so I, I think that this is one of those great innovations of Cameron's that really, really works. And it's, you know, because it's his screenplay, because it's his baby, he's able to put this stuff in there. And I wouldn't be at all shocked if he had a hand designing the prop. That's the kind of guy he is. Hmm. I wonder, though, why is it not picking up the other Marines, like the other... Maybe they have like uh, what do you call like um, IFF, right? Like uh, you know when a, a fighter plane knows that another fighter plane is a friendly, um, yeah. it probably filters out the marine. Oh, what? Oh, what did he say? Set your set your gain for something and filter for something. I think when uh, Gorman tells them to use it, um, he tells them what to set it for. So maybe that is what right. makes the marines themselves not show up. Um, I don't want to speculate too much on make believe technology, but it's also technology that. You know, for the fact that it's make-believe, Cameron tries to make it as believable as possible. Um, you know, he sells it really hard and wants us to buy into it. This isn't some magical, you know, person tracker. Um, this is something that's very, you know, kind of hard tech, something that, that, that is obviously designed for battlefield use. You know, the Marines have them and they look really rugged, you know, that you could probably throw yourself into a trench or have a firefight with these things in their sturdy rubber cases and... He's just everything feels so thought through with with all these props and all this technology that Cameron brings in. And by thought through, I mean conceived and developed in his head. Hmm. And we also, of course, get the cool narration from Sergeant Apone, again, um, our veteran, telling us what things look like, what the damage might have been caused by. And we start getting hints that a major battle has taken place, that, that there is not just damage, that there was some sort of huge fight in that corridor, in that building. Well, we sp we're specifically getting small arms fire and seismic. I'm sorry. I'm forgetting what he said exactly. Uh, well, seismic survey charges. So we're not getting military armaments here. We're getting what might be like sidearms that security officers might have. We're getting uh, things that are used for... Uh, you know, surveying or for mining or for, you know, whatever they the had. part of the terraforming. Right. So we're getting the whatever they had. Yeah, you're right, Chris. That that you know, without having getting got having seen the Hadley's Hope sequence here in the theatrical cut, this is informing us as to who we're dealing with, who had to deal with the alien. So it's good information, and it also goes back to Apone staying on task. We're actually getting he's actually investigating the scene. He's not just gawking around. He's actually gleaning information and feeding it back. And so that just lends you know, more to his professionalism here. And it's slightly terrifying when you realize that if they were security officers, how many of those do you need for 200 people? So there were not, or 200 families, no, 200 people, 50, 60 families. So you got to figure they didn't have many guns anyway. Yeah, probably yeah, not. It was a colony, not, a, not an armed outpost right. type of thing. Right, so um, you know they're they're probably somebody's dinner by now. I'm just saying, don't hold out a lot of hope. That's all I'm saying. 
Well, we know that they're not in the general vicinity because Hicks, um, you know, Hicks uses the tracker and he says that he's not getting a goddamn thing on the tracker. And we know that that's kind of a big moment that he's surprised. We get from Michael Bean's performance, he's registering a certain amount of surprise. And also he swears. So we know that that means that it's a, a little bit more important. Well, I guess with 200 people, they're expecting somebody would be sitting around somewhere. Well, that's a pretty good goddamn point, John. Uh, there are uh, a lot of Marines who are kind of feeling like they are going to be rescuing people. Remember, it's a rescue mission. That's what they said. You'll love it. It's an easy rescue mission. Now they know that it's maybe not going to be easy, but they should at least be seeing people in this colony because they're in the middle of it. They're they're near operations. We know that much. They're, the colony is obviously not huge. It's not a city or anything, and yet nobody there. I mean, they should at least be seeing dead people, right? I mean, I would be I thinking, see. okay. With, I, I knew so, it. I knew you'd go. Sorry. I knew it. Cartoonist has to make the easy joke. I told you, Engel. Low-hanging fruit, mistake. my friend. Low-hanging fruit. I told, you, I told you it was a mistake, Engel. I told you it was a mistake. <laughs> I said, if you don't, don't get Gary Larson, I said, get Gary Larson or don't get any of them. And yep. you, you didn't listen Sorry. to me. Man, low-hanging fruit is my, my forte. Hey, don't listen to him, Chris. I like low-hanging fruit. Give, like, give me the guy who does like Mark, easy joke. Give me the guy who does Mark Trail, or don't get any of them. That's what I told you. Hey, look! Every time somebody dies, it's a cartoon of them at the at the gates of heaven. So that's it. That's where I live. <laughs> We're just happy to have you. Uh, anybody, right? With these minutes, you're happy to have anybody to talk to. We are. These are some pretty. We actually tried to get Rue McClanahan. Uh, we tried to get Harry Carey. Found out they're both dead. Um, uh-huh. I'm close and, to it, so. Uh, well, he'll be fine. I, I turned 44 in July, so so I've got one foot in the grave. Yeah, well, I'm older than you, so I've got both. Oh, well. I'm waist deep into the into the uh, into the pit. Well, folks, if you want to contribute to the GoFundMe for Chris's casket, uh, we'll be posting <laughs> a link to the end. We'd like to get him something kind of plush, something kind of okay. nice. Uh, we'll I don't have a goddamn thing. Cremated and shot out of a cannon. So, uh, kind of, we'll let you folks vote. We'll, John will put up the poll. And uh, we'll look at the answers tomorrow. All right. Sounds like a good idea. Do you guys have anything else for this minute? Well, um, no, except uh, it was better than the last one. I think all the minutes are going to be better than that last one. So I don't think that's that's a low bar. Low-hanging fruit. Again, we're t- yeah, that's what we're dealing with in this minute, apparently. All right. Well, Chris, you want to uh, tell people again where they can find you online? Oh, just Google me already. Jeez. Yeah, sorry. You'll find me. I'm ever. I'm. You know what? I'm everywhere. I'm like a plague. If you if if you Google my name, you uh, you'll find a Darwin Award entry for a kid who had my name who <laughs> shot at a centipede or a millipede <laughs> with a twenty two and it ricocheted and it killed him. So. Sweet. Uh, if you Google Jason Heck Darwin Award, that's when you'll come up with. So from me to you, bad cream and ignorassi, and uh, I'm, I'm just happy to be here. All right. Well, that's good to know. All right. Well, uh, we'll be. you can find us at AlienMinute.com or on Instagram at Alien Minute Podcast, on Twitter at Alien Minute Pod, at TeePublic at Alien Minute, or, uh, yeah, you could just Google us and see what people have to say. There's probably some good Reddit threads out there complaining about us. All right, well, we'll see you tomorrow for minute number 40.